We are in part 11 of our Discovering the Kingdom series, walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, line by line. I entitled today's message, Forever Free, and I want to talk about freedom again. We've been talking about it throughout this series, and what we learned was that the idea of being free to do whatever we want is not a thing that humans ever get to have. There's too many power players at work, too many people that know more than we do. You have God running the universe. You have a brilliant enemy that is able to manipulate you. You have all sorts of draws and pulls and advertising. and you, We just simply do not have the freedom to do whatever we want to do. We have too many limitations. So the question is not, do we have freedom to do whatever we want? The question is, do we have the freedom to become who God designed us to be? That is our new definition of freedom for a Christian. Do I have the allowance to become who God designed me to be? So I want to dig down on that concept. We covered that in prior messages, but let's talk about that for a little bit. From God's point of view, we have two selves. There is who we truly are, and who we are operating as in this life. What do I mean by that? Well, there are things that are true about us and we're not living as if they're true. You understand what I'm talking about? Now, we can think about something practical. Let's talk about talents for a moment. Maybe, for example, you never tried to play a musical instrument and once you did, you realized you had a proclivity towards it and now you went, wow, I'm actually better at this than I thought I would be. And you discover a brand new talent. Now that would be something that prior you actually had, but you didn't know it and you weren't living like it was true. Does that make sense? That's very, very practical. If that is the case in practicality, is it not the case spiritually? Is it not the case that maybe there is something true about you that you're not living as if it is true? That's what I want to talk about for a moment. And I'm going I'm to give you three examples. Number one, do you believe that Christians are children of God? I believe that very, very firmly because the Bible says it. And yet, if that is true, instead of of living off the heavenly inheritance and allowance, we seem to still kind of pick around in the meager rations of the world. Instead of living in a joyful relationship with God as father and daughter or father and son, we're still caught up in all this, I have faults, I have failures, I'm no good, right? So something is true, but we're not living as if it is true. Let me give you another example. Do you believe that Christians are walking in a state of grace? That's actually what the Bible says. And yet, rather than living a peaceful life with God, we are still stuck in a performance mentality. Well, I gotta earn God's love, I gotta be better, I gotta do more, I gotta, right? It is true, but we're not living like it. Third one. Do you believe that Christians have power and authority in the Holy Spirit? I believe that too. Yet instead of storming the gates of hell, we run from things that are strange and we try not to do anything difficult. 
Why is that? If we are truly empowered, if we are truly given the authority of heaven, if we are able to move back the enemy, then why are we not charging forward with courage and why are we constantly running away? Doesn't make any sense. The point is this, what God says is true regardless of our perspective or our perception. If you're a note taker, I want you to write that down. What God says is true regardless of my perspective or perception. You see, God defines reality, we don't. God knows what we can and can't do. God knows what's next. God actually knows the way things are, we don't. Therefore, a significant part of growing as a Christian is learning to trust. Trust that what he says is right. And leaning into his perspective rather than our emotional perspective that seems to keep saying things are not the way they are. This is why I think we need to learn to read the Bible. This is one of the reasons why at Bridgeway we are so anchored in the word because I, I believe that God is still talking today. I believe that God is still moving today. Yet what's intriguing about that is that we tend to self-doubt. Uh, whenever we get a word from the Lord, we're like, oh, that was probably just me. Whenever God moves somehow, we're like, oh, maybe I didn't see it right. So there's an awful lot of internal warfare whenever we engage with God today. Yet what's cool about the Bible is that for thousands of years, it has been tested and tried and found to be truth with a capital T. And sometimes we don't need to have everything so highly filtered because we have to say, Lord, just tell me what's real. And that's what's beautiful about scripture. You can go back and say, you know what? This isn't an opinion. This is actually the word of God. This is what God says and I can camp on it and I can bank on it, yeah? That's why we need to know the word of God because it allows us to figure out reality from his perspective. So when you're reading the Bible, it is true and it is for you, right? Now the Bible says, if that is true, the Bible says that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for his people, he broke the bondage that death and sin held over us. Did you know that? Yeah. The Bible says that our failures in our past don't own us anymore. Did you know that? The Bible says that he disarms Satan and the forces that keep pushing us around. Did you know that? The Bible says that our heavenly eternity is assured. So what does all of that mean? It's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. A Christian is always free. A Christian is always free. He is not just free, but abundantly free. She is not just free, but abundantly free. Because whom the sun sets free will be free indeed. In other words, a Christian is always free. Now, if you are a note taker, I want you to write down this next line. If I am a Christian, the chains on my wrist aren't locked. If I am a Christian, the chains on my wrist are not locked. What do I mean? There are a lot of us living in cages, and the doors aren't actually shut. We have walked into them willingly. We believe them to capture us, but Jesus broke the lock and opened the door. So we are living in pretend prisons. They're not actual. They're not 
real because a Christian can never be contained by the things of this world. You're like, I don't know if that's true. You don't know my situation. Hold on. Just because something is difficult doesn't mean it's impossible. And even if it were impossible, does not God's word speak to that? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You know that, yes? Amen. Amen. Maybe God's word for someone today is that you can have freedom from the pattern that you're living in today that you never imagined you would ever get freedom from. I think sometimes our imagination is awesome. I especially love it in creativity. But sometimes our imagination isn't big enough. I think sometimes our imagination is so limited and so influenced that we have a hard time imagining living without this addiction or living without this mindset or living without this trauma or living, you understand what I'm saying? Like we have a hard time sometimes expanding out and dreaming of a world where there is a lightness of being, where his yoke is easy and his burden is light, where you could walk with freedom, where you could walk with ease, where addiction has no hold on you. We have a hard time imagining that, but God doesn't. That stuff's easy for him. He's the one breathing that reality into you and through you. But we just have to line up with what he says, yeah? Sometimes we're thinking a little bit too small. All right, let's talk about the context of where we're at. We're reading this 2,000-year-old mail between Paul and a church that he planted four years prior. It's in a Greek city, uh, actually owned by the Roman Empire, but it's known as Corinth, so it's the letter to the Corinthians. They've been sending mail back and forth. We are picking open a letter, and he's talking to them about very specific situations, and along the way, the last time we were together, he was talking about their social sphere. He was talking about their relationships. He was saying, guys, it doesn't matter whether or not you're married. It doesn't matter whether or not you're single. God can move through you. You can have full lives, and God can use you to bless other people. Do not get hung up on the circumstances that you are in. And this was his Big point as we open it up. If you haven't turned there, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. It's page 955, and the Bible's under the seat in front of you. Reading out of the ESV, that's the English Standard Version. That'll help you follow along a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Here was his point he was leading to. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. All right, let's pause. Live where you are called. You're like, no, I heard that. Still don't understand it. Okay. When you got saved, God saved you in a very specific environment. You had a circle of friends. You had relationships. You had influence. 
that wherever you were saved, you had a certain job, you lived in a certain geography. And what's interesting is we don't associate those two things together. We think they're completely opposite. Oh, I happened to be here and God happened to catch my attention at this time. That is incorrect. It was scheduled. In other words, God not only rescued you, but he rescued you in a certain environment for certain purposes. When you get saved, it comes with multiple callings. In other words, no one is better to minister to your environment than where you got saved. In other words, the people around you when you got saved, needed a tangible, realistic, concrete example of what a transformed life looks like. If I come in as an outsider and a minister, I can't crack into your group. You were already in your group. If I come in, I have to convince them that I'm legit. You're already legit. So your number one mission field is wherever God rescued you. If you got saved in California, then your mission field happens to be in California. If you got saved while working in the technology field, then your mission field is the technology field. Does that make sense? If you got saved in a certain family or friend group, they are the ones that you are ministering to. Now, this goes against human nature. You said, wait. Well, what do you mean? When we get saved and we have this tremendous awareness that we have been living wrong, when we have this tremendous awareness that we have more meaning and more purpose, we all of a sudden want to gather together with other people that are just like us. And one of the terrible things or terrible statistics is that, do you realize that the longer Christians are Christians, the less impact in the world they have. Why? We withdraw, we pull away, we isolate, we insulate. Why do we do that? Now, I understand that some of us got rescued from, from some pretty toxic environments, okay? There are some of us that were in dangerous or unhealthy circumstances. And you cannot, in your maturity as a brand new Christian, walk right back into your world of addiction and not go down. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is a total kingdom loss if you bring light in and yours goes out. Does that make sense? We gotta be careful on that. There's a few of us that need to step back, get away from the extreme dysfunction, get healthy so we can speak back into it, right? Let's be wise about this. But Think about it this way. The most effective use of salt and light is spread out. Is that correct? If you're going to salt a steak, right? Because I believe that is God's food, right? Amen, amen. It's, it's Old Testament biblical, y'all. Okay. <clears throat> if you only salted the corner and just kept salting it, that's just gross. The whole point is to spread it out. Light. If you do not spread it out, it becomes blinding, not illuminating. 
So what's intriguing is that God saves people in a sprinkled out fashion so there's a little bit of Holy Spirit all over the place. You were rescued where you are at on purpose. God needs believers in the farming industry. God needs believers in the technology industry. God needs believers in the uh, home care business. And yet, when we get saved, we go, why am I the only believer here? And then we want to quit and go be with a bunch of other believers. And the Lord's like, ah, the point was that you would be the presence of the Holy Spirit in a dark place. If we keep avoiding the dark places, we cease to be salt and light. You understand what I'm talking about? <clears throat> All of that goes against human nature. And here's why. We are tribal. We have always been this way, we tend to want to gather with people that are just like us. It's called a homogeneity concept. In other words, we want to be around people that think like us, act like us, look like us. Why? Because it's easier, simpler, and it creates a comfort zone, and we never have to be challenged or face loss. That's a problem because that's not God's ultimate design for us. You see, it's human to want to gather together in an echo chamber where everyone says the same thing. It's why we have the friend groups we have. It's why we have the church denominations we have. It's why we have the political groups we have. Because what we want to do is be around everyone that agrees with us. So everywhere we go, we say, I see the world this way, don't you? And then our friends that we have hand-selected say, of course I see it that way. It's the only way to see it. We can even bend our, our news feed to feed back into the loop and we only see stories that back up our bias. So we are constantly surrounded to make sure that we are brilliant, that everything is as we always thought it should be. Now the problem with that is you will never grow. The problem with that is you don't have something coming in and challenging your presuppositions. You don't have something that comes in and says, just because all your friends believe it doesn't make it right. You see, one of the whole points of growth is to be confronted with something that is not true. We need to be in diversity because it challenges our assumptions. We need to be around people that don't think like us because it helps us refine what we should believe. But we are always gathering into these groupings and try to say, let's isolate from the world, put a wall around it, and all agree. It's always been that way. You guys remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Yeah? Let's go way back. God said when he started mankind... I want you guys to spread out, cover the earth, and subdue it. In other words, spread out, I have a lot of jobs for you all to do. What did they end up doing? Gathering all together. Why? Because it was safer and simpler and easier and the same reasons we're doing it today. And they all gathered into one place that we know as Babel now. Later it would become Babylon and you begin to have all these other problems. 
But they gathered in and they said, we don't want to do what God says. We don't want to get out of our comfort zone. We want to be squarely in it. So God had to come in and scatter them. He did it by confusing their languages. Now notice, when they had good communication, they were able to unify. But the minute they hit it, it caused division. God needed to cause the division for their context. Their context was, they're not doing what God asked them to do. So he kicked them out of their comfort zone on purpose, by force, and then they began to do what he called them to do. Now, I will repeat this. It is human to stay in our comfort zone. The problem is we are more than human. We are Christians. That means we must get out of our comfort zones and be challenged on a consistent basis. I recently got a massage, right? Now, I understand Pastor Judah shared one story with you. I'm going <clears> to... <throat> I'm going the other direction, all right? So... <laughs> This one happened to be awkward for another reason. It was a, it was a biker-looking guy named Jose, okay? And uh, it was interesting because somehow we got into this conversation as he was hurting me. And I told him, I said, Jose, I only have three goals today. Number one, I'm trying to relax. Number two, I'm trying to trust you. Number three, I'm trying not to cry in front of you. I said, Jose, you are killing me, bro. Anyway, it's not important right now. We get into this weird conversation. It always happens with me. And we get into this conversation. He said, oh, you're a religious man. And, and I said, yeah. And he goes, I don't like those people that just read the Bible. He said, and now, of course, he has no idea what I do for a living, right? <laughs> He's like, I don't like those guys that just read the Bible because all they're doing is reading their own stuff and saying that it's true. I respect people that will look at all the religions of the world. Then if they believe the Bible, preach it, brother. I was like, where did this guy come from? Because his whole point was, you have been challenged by outside thoughts. You have had to think through and process through what you believe. And his point was, if you're simply in a tiny little bubble, I don't trust you. I think this was God's point. Now, thankfully, I was able to say, you know what? Through my education, I was forced to go to many world religion courses. I had to go to different temples and different mosques, and I had to go and examine all the backgrounds and all the writings. I had to do all that. And I could say, I'm honestly a Christian because it's the only one that makes sense of my reality. Can you say that? Or have you insulated all of your thoughts to agree with you? This is one of the reasons why I consistently bring challenge into our Bridgeway community. You will consistently be stung by me challenging a presupposition because I believe that we need to think through in order to own, and I want you to own Christianity through and through, all right? Let's keep moving forward. Verse 18, he said, all right, so my point was God saved you the way you were. You are the way you are on purpose, and I want to give you two examples they are pretty radical about how I need you to look at the world. Those two examples are circumcision and slavery. Welcome to Bridgeway. <laughs> Let's pick it up in verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call, meaning when he got saved, already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. 
For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Okay, quick show of hands. How many of you have this passage on your fridge? Anyone? <laughs> Anyone, you got those? No? Not a lot of circumcision posting up on your... Way to get ready in the morning. What, what is this all about, right? Now, the interesting thing about it is it sounds super uncomfortable and it sounds a little bit weird, but I can guarantee you that if you listen to what his point is, it will change your life. Here's why. Let's talk about it. What is physical circumcision? You're like, no, come on. Uh, removal of foreskin by, uh, on males, right? That's as far as I'm going today. That, that's it, right? Because everyone's like, oh, I brought my kids. Oh. Okay, here's the thing. Just going to encourage you, please do not Google it during service. It's super distracting, right? And I'll keep hearing all these little gasps everywhere, right? All right. Now, where did this come from? Is it really about a physical issue or is there something religiously attached to it? That's where we're going to camp today. As a matter of fact, for the Jewish people, circumcision was everything. Why? Does everybody realize that before Abraham, there were no Jews? Abraham was the beginning of the Jewish people. He was the beginning of the Hebrews. As a matter of fact, three major world religions all trace back to Abraham. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. They all trace back to Abraham. He's kind of a big deal. He was just regular guy when God called him out said, I want to be your God. I'm going to call you to myself and make you into a special people. And he kind of said, just trust me and follow me. So that happened for a while as God was leading him and guiding him and directing him. But then when he hit 99, he said, all right, I'm gonna clarify my bigger picture for you. We have come a long way. I am going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you in ways that you never imagined. You've already seen some of my blessings, but the blessing I will have upon your people is going to stun the world. Now, here's why. I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to everybody else. I'm going to use you as a living, breathing, life example of my nature. I'm going to use you in a special way. I'm going to call you my chosen people my chosen kids. As a matter of fact, I have a very special area on earth carved out that I'm going to move people out and bring your people in. Now at this time, Abraham knew that God was going to bless him with children, but it wasn't working. He actually had a 13-year-old from his attempt to try to have kids, and it, the whole thing was a mess. And he's like, I don't understand, God, that you keep saying that you're going to make me into a numerous people group. I have one failure right here. And God said, you know what? I'll take care of that. As a matter of fact, when I'm done with you, your people group will be more numerous than the sand of the seashore. And Abraham's like, okay, sounds great. Let's do that. He said, all right, I need you to be different and he's like, no, I got that. He's like, no, no, no. I need you to be holy. 
Holy means set apart for my purposes. So I'm going to make you different in all sorts of ways. But I need a physical marker so that externally everyone can tell whether you're mine or not, whether you're the chosen people or not, whether you are the Hebrews or not, and I'm choosing the mark of circumcision. Now this is where a 99-year-old guy's like, I'm sorry, huh? Can't we just wear like hats, bowler hats or something? Like, right? I don't think my 13-year-old kid is gonna be cool with this, right? He's like, no, 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 you're gonna mark out physically and I want all of your males. Now, I'm not just talking about those that are born into your families. I'm talking about any slaves you acquire, any prisoners of war, anything that occurs, all males that will be considered in my camp have to be physically circumcised. If not, they are cut off, outcast, and rejected. They are not allowed to be around me. They're not allowed to be around my temple. They're not allowed to be, now that's all future, right? It said, if anyone is not circumcised as a male, they have no part in my blessing. That's pretty severe, yeah? Now, it's, it's interesting because when you study this subject, you're thinking, shouldn't we have had a little more visible marking, right? Like maybe, maybe on your shoulder or something. Like this is pretty kind of private, right? Well, think about it this way. It had everything to do with lineage. So it was going to come up, right? All right. What's intriguing about it is that for thousands of years, it was reinforced and reinforced. If you are not circumcised, you don't belong. So it created an us versus them mentality. As a matter of fact, it was different than the nations they were going to be around. It's not the only people group that did it. The Egyptians did it as well. But they had already, you know, later on, they're going to be coming out of them and there's going to be all this separation. So by the time we get kind of entrenched in it, they're kind of the only ones in the region that did that. It would have to be other people groups that were tied to the Jews. So they were going to be different. Now, this is what's important, I think, that we need to to remember. It was always more than physical. In Deuteronomy, God says, I want you to circumcise your hearts. And what he meant was, we're going to do physical acts on the outside, but what I'm really looking for is people that love me and know me. But he still expected for thousands of years a physical mark. So was it supposed to be deeper? Yes, and we'll get into that. But it was a physical mark. And it ended up being that circumcised meant included, uncircumcised meant excluded. Think about the story of David and Goliath. You guys remember this story? David and Goliath, little guy fights a big guy. Do you remember how that story went? Little guy, he's a Jew, he comes in and he hears the big bad guy on the other team bad-mouthing his people and his God. Jews, you're all wimps. Your God is garbage. And David was like, what did you say? You uncircumcised Philistine. Do you remember that was his response? Because in their mind, it went bad, good, you, me. Walls, separation. And then all of a sudden, Jesus showed up. And he said, hey guys, it was always about the heart. The physical stuff was important for a time, but I'm here now. 
And I just need you to know, Jews, circumcised, Gentiles, uncircumcised, we're all one family. And I need us to come together. That was an absolute mind blow. The Gentiles are like, oh, we're buddies, I got a brother, right? And they're like running in there. And the Jews were like, oh, no. Like, we have spent all of our lives, our whole history, talking about we don't hang with you, we don't touch your stuff, we don't get around you, we don't want to be anywhere in your vicinity. And now all of a sudden, you're going to come into my church, and they're like, hold up, our church. <laughs> right, that's my problem. We are not doing this. We are separate. And God said, no, I actually tore down those walls, and I need you to be one family. And they're like, I can't do that. And you watch in the book of Acts, all this wrestling internally, trying to figure out how to fuse together, how to unify when they've spent thousands of years dividing and dividing and dividing, and now all of a sudden they're supposed to come together. How do you even do that? And Paul was part of that process. Guys, your external circumstance doesn't dictate whether you're family. Your insides dictate whether you're family. And here's what we apply to our lives. Please don't ever let your physical circumstances dictate how you think God thinks about you. But God, I'm not what? What are you going to say? Because when he looked at you and chose to love you, he already knew all that. And he actually knows more about you than you know. And he still loves you. That's why I said, I understand it's an awkward passage, but when you get done with it, it's life-changing. Paul's whole point was, guys, the outside ultimately can't dictate your soul. And that's what we're going to keep camping on. Now, understand, the, this whole changeover and getting the church together, it was, it was very problematic. It was a big issue. As a matter of fact, you find out the circumcision, uncircumcision issue was such a big deal in the Galatian region, the whole book of Galatians ends up addressing it over and over. Why? Because there was Jewish people called Judaizers. They basically said this, Hey, guys, I appreciate the freedom Paul is suggesting to you. However, I'm not sure we can use greasy grace. So as a matter of fact, I think we need to cover all our bases. We need to be able to say, listen, how about you just become a Jew, then go become a Christian? In other words, there's kind of a route you can go. Then, when you are a Christian, let's cover all the law stuff and do all the right righteous living, and we'll do the grace of God, and we'll mush them together. That way we have everything covered. Paul had a serious problem with that, right? Why? He said, if you do that, you have just said that Jesus isn't enough. Don't you ever do that. Don't you ever tell me that it's Jesus plus righteous living that gets you saved. Do not tell me that it's Jesus plus legalism that gets you into heaven. Do not tell me that it's Jesus plus anything. Jesus is sufficient. It's Jesus or nothing. It's Jesus or nothing. Amen? Yeah, praise God. You see, because his whole point was simply this. If you say, I got saved by grace, but I'm maintaining my salvation by righteous living, you're saying you're ultimately going to heaven because of your good works. 
You understand, it's grace or nothing. It's Jesus or nothing. Okay, here's another way to apply it to our lives. What are the markers for you that help you know whether or not you're growing up in Jesus? How do you know how you're maturing? What are you estimating to know? Let's say you've been a Christian for eight years. What evidence do you have that you are a better Christian now than you did before? If you're only looking at external markings, you're going to say something like this. I read the Bible more. But if you read the Bible more but don't have a deeper relationship with God, has it done anything? Because the, Bibles are, the Bible is about him. If you say, I read more Christian books, I do more devotions, but you actually don't love your neighbor anymore, is it making any difference? You see, the way Christianity runs is that we have to have internal change that bleeds outside. You should look at your external markers, but they have to be because of an inside change. That's why at Bridgeway, the only metric that matters to us is transformed lives. Because then we know God did something on the inside and it was so powerful, it bled outward and you started doing different things. Not you did things in order to become a better person and somehow it was gonna change your inside. Does that make sense? It's an inside out concept. All right, let's move forward to example number two, verse 21. Were you a slave when Jesus Christ rescued you and called you and saved you? Well, don't be concerned about it. If you can gain your freedom, great, do that. Avail yourself of the opportunity. All right, let's pause. How can he say that? He is not only free, he is a Roman citizen. He has all kinds of freedoms to walk around and do whatever he wants. How can he say, oh, you're a slave? Bah, it's not a big deal. Because he's looking at it through a certain lens. Let me explain. Do you realize that worldwide slavery has not been like the bizarre, damaging, chattel slavery that we had in America. American slavery is an unusually grotesque version of slavery. In the world, especially in the Roman Empire in the first century, was very different. It is estimated that between 10% to 33% of the entire Roman Empire were slaves. Why? because it was an economy thing. And here's how it works. You have to get a job. Yes, how are you gonna provide for your family? How are you gonna provide for your kiddos? Well, in some regions there was jobs, in some regions, regions there were not. So what are you gonna do to feed your family? You've got to get a job. Well, at some point you realize, wait a second, what if I got a permanent job? And that's what slavery was, permanent employment. And you go, okay, so they can't really fire me. That sounds good, right? And it's their responsibility to feed me and my children and house me and my children. So people would sell themselves into permanent employment so they would have stability and safety. That just made a way for everyone to be able to have what they needed. However, it comes at a cost. The owner has rights over your life and death. They have rights over what you can and can't do, and you don't get to switch jobs. And you don't get to pick which job you do. Now, if you have a good master, 
They would, not only did you live in the house, you had freedom to do all kinds of stuff. You ran your own life because you had a great relationship. But as we all know, there are good employers and bad employers. And if you have a bad employer that is permanent for the rest of your life, that's scary, right? That's why there were some bad things as well. All right. But here was Paul's point. I got two things to say about slavery, he said. Number one, it's not a big deal. Number two, if you can be free, be free. Why would he say that? Because this was his perspective. Your lack of freedom to make your own decisions doesn't limit God or say anything about your identity. You know who you are. You know who God made you to be. What does it matter whether or not you're able to make your daily decisions? What does it matter whether or not you choose life or death? All of us that are free don't have a right over life and death. God is making that call anyway. Do not let earthly limitation define you. If you are a slave, your mind, heart, and soul is free. It doesn't ultimately matter. Now, he said, get your freedom if you can. Well, why would he give that second principle? Because he's like, you know what? I'm all about kingdom building. And if all of a sudden I felt like God was saying, hey, invite that person to go on a mission trip with me, but you can't, I don't like that. Listen, if you have access to say, God, use me in whatever way, great, take that. Does it define you? No, but it's helpful. Great, it's like having a passport. Make sure you have one of those. That's what he said. Now take a look at verse 21. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is already free in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he got saved is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Here was his whole point. There is nothing that people can say or do that ultimately can enslave your heart. All of us that are free and Jesus saved us, we're following him. There's no such thing as living on our own. There's no such thing as doing our own thing. We're all following someone. We are now free to follow Jesus. So this whole idea of whether or not your earthly life matters, oh, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm this ethnicity, I'm this ethnicity, you said, you know what, hold on. Those don't define you. Jesus defines you. Don't let it hold you back. All right, then he said this. He's like, and since Jesus did such a powerful work to get you free, don't you dare become slaves of men. Don't let other people dictate your joy level, your peace level, or anything like that. They don't own you. Jesus owns you. All right. There is one last thing that I want to highlight about that, and that is simply this. For Christians... We were set free. Is that correct? Then why are so many of us in bondage? If Jesus set us free, that means we walked into it on purpose. Why would we do that? Doesn't make any sense. You see, let's say a Christian, I'm using an extreme example and then a, a basic example. Here's an extreme example. Oh, I have freedom in Christ. I'm not going to be condemned for drinking, so I'm going to keep drinking and keep drinking and keep drinking, and now I'm an alcoholic. You just use the freedom of Christ to walk right into bondage. That's not how it's supposed to go. Let's use a simple one. 
hey, I have grace in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm not in a performance mentality. I don't have to earn my way to heaven, so now I can do my own thing. And you just become a selfish person. You're abusing the freedom that God gave you. You're walking into bondage. That ought not to be. That's not the point. The happiest people on the planet aren't selfish. It's a bondage like everything else. We've been set free, so pursue our freedom. Let's not rechain ourselves, right? That was his idea. And then he says this at the end, verse 24. He wraps it up with this. So brothers and sisters, in whatever condition you got saved, remain there with God. What's the point? Our life situations don't define our ministry. It's interesting because we are so quick to believe that in order to do ministry, we need a bigger platform. You guys ever heard that phrase, platform? We always think that, well, if I'm going to be a minister for Christ, you know, Pastor Lance, he's always telling us that we're all ministers of the Lord, that we're all leaders in the Lord. I don't feel like that. I don't have his platform. I don't have the ability to stand on that stage. I don't have the accessibility to do what he does, I'm limited. That is incorrect. Why? Because God dictates whether or not you need a bigger platform. God dictates whether or not you are limited or not. And you go, no, you don't understand my situation. All right, let me use an extreme situation. Anybody know who Nick Vujicic is? All right, Nick Vujicic was born with no arms and no legs. I would consider that a limitation. And yet... His book is called Life Without Limits. Why? Because this guy is a world-traveling preacher married with four kids of his own. No arms, no legs, best-selling author. You're telling me that your situation is more limited than not having limbs. The point is that if God wants to use Nick, there is nothing about Nick's life that is going to stop God from moving through Nick. In the exact same way with you and I, stop saying you're limited. You're not. You just be you in your environment. Keep pumping out Jesus Christ, the love, the gospel, the grace, and he will do the transformation. Our job is not to try to find a way to only get a bigger platform so then we can do ministry. Our job is to do ministry right where we're at. That's why God has you there. Yeah? We have all the influence we need to do the work that God has called us to do. I get it. Moses said, I'm not a good public speaker. And yet he became the voice box of God. Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest evangelists and church planners this world has ever known, had what he defined as a thorn in the flesh that he dealt with every day. It did not stop him. It did not limit him. It did not identify him. Think about the person that had the most impact on your life. Who is that spiritually? The number one person that had the most impact in your life. Think about it. Picture them right now. Are they famous? Probably not. Stop limiting God. All right, we're going to close out with something. After Christ has set us free... Any slavery is one of mindset and perspective. It's not actual. Christians can only be enslaved if we allow it. So what bondage are we allowing in our lives today 
that's got no business being there. And you're actually not as bound as you think you are. Because Jesus knows how to set everybody free. So we're going to close out and just pray. And here's what I want to pray for. In a moment, our prayer team is going to come up here. And they're going to, they're going to back up everything that I'm talking about. Because what I'm about to pray is going to start stirring things in your life. And some of us just need someone to help pray more breakthrough. Yeah? So the prayer team is going to be up here in a second. But here's what we're going to pray about. I'm going to pray that our mindsets are changed. That we start dreaming of what freedom looks like. That we start praying against all the bondage we think we're in. We're going to start praying against the enemy and pray in the Holy Spirit, right? That's what we're going to do. You ready to do that? All right, let's do it. Let's pray. Could I have the prayer team come on up here? Heavenly Father, we are here in your presence seeking freedom. We are looking for this beautiful experience with you where you change out your eyeballs for ours that we begin to dream again, that we begin to see hope again. In the name of Jesus, I come against all in slavery. I come against all addiction cycles that they would be broken right here, right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I come against anything that is holding us back, that is hindering us from your best. Lord, whatever it is that we have walked into, we now rebuke it and we walk away. That we understand our chains are not locked on our wrists, so we shake them off in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that all that weight that is upon our our shoulders would be removed in Jesus' name, that we might be able to have that, that easy yoke and that light burden. I pray right now, Lord, that you would allow us to begin the renewing process of our mind. Our past will not define us. Our trauma will not define us. Our sickness will not define us. Our disability will not define us, that we are so much more than that. Lord, free our minds, free our spirits, that we know that no matter what our earthly circumstances are, they cannot stop your power. So we pray right now, Lord, that you would allow us to see it like you see it. That doesn't matter if we're in the tiniest corner of the world. Lord, you started there and launched a massive mega ministry. God, I'm just praying right now that we would be that light and that salt in our jobs, that light and salt in our marriage, that light and salt in our neighborhood. I pray, God, that we would begin to see ourselves as your hands, your feet, your your heart, your eyes. I pray, Lord, that all that holds us back, that we have willingly signed up to, we would reject it in the name of Jesus and we would be set free. Lord, would you anoint this altar right now as we continue to pray breakthrough in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.